0: Okay, for those of you keeping score, i.e. looking at the time, the runtime for this episode before you start playing it, you know that it's a long one. So I am going to dispense with the Jed Bartlett-esque anecdotes here at the beginning that will allude to the overall theme or meaning of this episode and just come out and say it right away. This episode is about two things being true at the same time. It's a fact in life, you can be positive and call for improvement. You can be supportive yet critical of something at the same time. Those two realities can exist. We are here to talk about the positives and negatives of what has happened in the past month and a half, to lay out where we are going correctly, where we are going that could have some improvement, and just give our general thoughts on everything that's happening in the bike racing, in the Criterion Racing world, in June and July of 2023. So that's it, very simple, straightforward. That's what we're gonna do. Oh, by the way, did you notice the NBA Rules Committee announced two sweeping changes to the NBA rules for 2023, 2024? Just thought I'd throw that out there because I still haven't gotten my invite to the Criterium Rules meeting that USA Cycling should be having. Oh, by the way, USA Cycling, if you're curious, my name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, WideAnglePodium.com, your source for the full bevy of shows available on the network. This is a content creator-owned effort, so please go subscribe, become a supporter of this network, become part of this community. Whether you like cyclocross, gravel, road, comedy e-bike racing or zwift racing, criterium racing, whatever it happens to be, we've got what you need and what you find interesting. So wideanglepodium.com, your source. We are brought to you this week by our good friends at Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab. We've talked about them a little bit over the past couple of months. They are the creators of high-performance men's skincare products. The skincare world is obviously heavily female-driven and has long been the Wild West for men, where men can't find the right brand or simply lack the knowledge and understanding of what good skincare can be like and what attention we as men need to give to to our skin. First impressions matter. There's no two ways around it. And what's the first thing most people notice about you when you present yourself to them? It's gonna be your face. And we are rough on our face and we are rough on our skins, especially as cyclists. Being in the sun, being in the wind, being underneath sunscreen and sweating heavily, that will take its toll on your skin, which is why Caldera Lab has created the regimen. It's a twice daily routine, starts with a clean slate, and the base layer, this is what sets you up for the day. Nice matte finish, rejuvenate, reinvigor. You put a little bit of the icon on around that area underneath and along the side of your eyes where crow's feet could form. It's there designed to slow down the natural processing of aging of the skin, make you look healthier, make it feel better. And then at night, the good. It's your go-to before bed, clinically proven multifunctional serum. Wash your face put this on, hit the hay. When you wake up the next morning, your skin will have rejuvenated, it will feel better, it will be relaxed. Okay, calderalab.com, 20% off, using the promo code Nation. all one word. Go there, find what you need, become a better version of yourself, take skincare to the next level. Let's do this. Let's talk about what's happened in the last month and a half and about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. It has been something close to like forever since it was just, you and I, Alan. The last time that a show was done where it was just the two of us was December of 2020. It was the episode smack dab in between talking about Olivia Ray winning the the New Zealand National Championship and when Kendall Ryan came on to talk about being the crit queen. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the solo episode of Solo Episodes? (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I am. I'm actually quite excited for it to be just sort of like a back and forth conversation here. Uh, and there's been a lot going on in the world of, of us bike racing. So I think we've got, we've got plenty to talk about here.
0: Yeah. And we're limiting ourselves just to what's happened since basically Tulsa. So there's a ton of stuff and we're going to try to do it all within an hour because that's what this show is all about is one hour. So, uh, but first and foremost, we got to talk about our special commendation award that we're handing out tonight. And it's just this blank item on the agenda. So I don't even think Alan knows what the special commendation award is. But the special award goes to our very own senior women's correspondent, Celine Overholzer, for starting graduate school this week or this month, excuse me, at the University of Virginia, which is why Celine isn't here. She's going to grad school. How incredible is that?
1: It's pretty incredible. Yeah, she's going for uh, her master's in architecture. Um, I don't know if it's science or like uh, art, but yeah, very exciting. She's going to be creating something out of nothing, creating buildings to make a place much more livable.
0: And the cool thing is, is that, you know, her undergrad degree from Indiana was in fine arts. It was in dance, if I recall correctly. And so this is going way outside of kind of that core coursework into masters of architecture. But we all know that Celine's got an incredible eye for drawing lines and doing artistic working because she's got Celine's lines as an Instagram account. So you can go there and follow everything that she does and see how her brain functions. There's some really cool cats drawings that i'm a big fan of so but like it's just kind of a cool thing to look at so celine's lines on instagram i'm sure she's got a threads account too because that's what everybody that's all the cool kids are doing now right
1: <laughs> oh boy i don't think we have time to, to get into the <laughs> threads but yeah definitely excited for her i think it's a it's a fun step in her life that she's going to enjoy once she gets over the like 12 hour workdays. <laughs>
0: Oh my God, the first couple of weeks of law school were insane because not only did you have the work that you were doing, but you also had the paranoia that everybody else was working harder than you. And so you kept working harder than them. And like the first week of law school, I organized a a outing to... Um, the uh, Burgundy Room, which was the local drinking establishment on the square in Oxford, Mississippi. And I asked one of the women who was in my class, oh, uh, would you like to come and have drinks with us at the Burgundy Room? And she goes, oh, I clearly know who I won't have to worry about at the end of the semester. I was Damn. Like, oh, that's rough. <laughs>
1: you can Ouch. do both. Yeah, yes. that's aggressive.
0: Oh, perfect segue. Perfect segue. You can do both. So... Two things can be true at the same time, right? It's, it's, it's not like we live in this polar opposite world where negative and positive cannot exist in the same location. So two things can be true at the same time, kind of a thesis here. So the reality of bike racing is that there is good and there is room for improvement. There is good and then there's bad, there's bad and then there's, eh, okay, We're going to talk honestly about what's been happening lately, and we will talk about the good, the bad, the stuff that can be improved. So let's remember that thesis. Two things can be true at the same time. Um, It's normally two different things, but I don't even know if these are different or two opposite things. So here we go. Let's talk about chronologically kind of the first thing that comes to mind since Tulsa is going to be pro crit nationals in Knoxville, Tennessee. Alan, you were there. How incredible of an experience is the the crit and road race down in, in Knoxville?
1: Yeah, it's I mean, it's nationals, right? So it's more or less the biggest race that we're going to do all year. Uh, this was my third year there. So I feel like I finally got a handle on these races and like how they're raced, how the courses run. So yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun year. Honestly, the crowds were huge this year. The people of Knoxville really do seem to love having the race there, which is great. Um, and yeah, it was good, good racing. Um, The road race for me was less than i was hoping for it was we first we got rain delayed because of big thunderstorm ended up starting an hour and a half later racing in the rain something that i love to do but ultimately kind of had my race ended by a flat tire uh yeah like five laps in something like that um but yeah to get to the point overall great experience it was an excellent weekend of bike racing.
0: So this is the last year that it's going to be in Knoxville. Um mm-hmm. they have not announced a new location. There was a errant comment made on the live stream of the criterium that labeled it as potentially somewhere out west, but Love in talking yeah, in talking with Brad Soner, he's like that, that person didn't know details beyond what we know or they knew something that we didn't know. So, you know, we don't know where it's going to go next year. It's just not going to be in Knoxville. I'm not upset by that in any way, shape or form, not because I thought the Knoxville course wasn't a great course as a criterium, but it's clear that people have dialed that course in and it's time for for a change. I mean, Luke Lampardy, clearly knows how to win that race uh, by virtue of doing it three years in a row. It was an interesting night because in the crit, we were in a situation where we could have twin three-peats. I don't think I need to pay any royalties for using the word three-peat, even though it was at one point in time trademarked by Pat Riley, I think, when the Bulls were winning their championships in basketball several Decades ago now, sadly, when I was at the peak of my life in my high school years. But we had the opportunity for twin repeats with Luke Lamparday of Trinity Racing and Kendall Ryan of Legion of Los Angeles. Spoiler alert, no way, shape or form because it happened a month ago. Kendall did not win. She came in second. On the women's side, Corinne LeBecki from Yumbo Visma wins the race. Kendall finishes second. And then Chloe Patrick from Serious Cycling comes in third. Chloe is uh was also the U23 champ because she was because the women don't have their own standalone race. On the men's side, Luke wins. Colby Simmons, yes, the younger brother of the road race champion and World Tour Pro Quinn Simmons. Colby rides for Jumbo-Visma-Devo team. He finishes in second place. And Tyler Williams from Legion of Los Angeles finishes in third. You may ask, where were the other Williamses? Why? Wh- where is Justin? Where is Corey? They aren't, for purposes of the UCI Americans, they raced in Belize. So Legion did not have its two uh, founders at that race, but they definitely had a full stacked lineup anyways. So yes, Alan, you raced this course three times now. How does it play out? How does a race on this course in Knoxville play out?
1: Uh, basically in two parts, part one is like 65 minutes of the 70 minute race or However long we end up racing, maybe it was a 90 minute race to be honest, I don't exactly remember, but like 95% of the race is people attacking, trying to get some sort of a breakaway going, but because it's like downhill, turn around, come back up, nothing ever gets away. Even when you have like the nice mix of one of all the teams, inevitably there's someone who's going to try and bridge across and it just kind of like pulls itself back together. Uh, So then in the closing laps, you have a team, typically Legion, try and, uh, you know, lead it out, control the race for the last 10, 15 minutes. And the last three years, the way that's worked out is everybody knows it's a race uh, like up over the bridge, back to town to that right hander. And yeah, Luke Lampardi has just (laughs) somehow managed to win that race the last three
0: years. I mean, he launches in the exact basically same spot. Every single year, three corners to go, you know, just nobody. He's a finisher and and he put distance in people multiple times Uh, on the women's side. Corinne basically did the exact same thing. She jumped the Legion train that had Kendall lined up for the win again for the third year in a row. And she went really, really wide and just nobody could come with her. Kendall made an effort to come with her. And we obviously have to talk about, you know, the second corner there because, you know, Kendall expressed a certain degree of frustration and thought that, you know, Corinne had put her into the curb potentially, you know, uh, but that's just the place to go and the move to make. Now, we, we're coming off of, don't forget, go back in time, we're coming off of Tulsa where Kendall had been relegated from night one for making a deviation from her line and pinching Olivia Cummins of DNA into the corner or into the curb there in the final corner here. Kendall thought, uh, you know, I'm not going to say she thought, but from all intents and purposes, looking at the way that she reacted during those last closing meters of the race, she believed that Corinne had done the same thing to her and cried foul. Um, I've watched that corner so many times and talked to so many people about it. What Corinne did was clean.
1: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you can, when you watch them, like side by side, if you can somehow, it's pretty clear that what uh, Kendall did at Tulsa was like much more dramatic than what Corinne did at nationals. Um, It was a lot more aggressive. You know, there was like the look back, like looking at her and then deviating versus Corinne eyes forward. She was just riding the racing lines. Um, It's a much narrower road than the finish in Tulsa. And so I can can understand why in the moment and, you know, losing your chance at the three-peat, you would cross the line being like, That was a deviation. I got in trouble for this. Like, I'm going to report it. But going back and watching the live, like, replay of it, it's, yeah, she was just classic racing incident, I suppose.
0: And don't forget, this is the exact same corner where two years ago when Luke Lamparday, or three years ago now, when Luke Lamparday won his first, that Scott McGill and Corey Williams came together and crashed when Scott had the outside line in that exact same spot. It is a corner where, by virtue of the speed that you're coming into it, you are going to go wide and you are going to use the full stretch of the road. So it's not like, you know, it's not like this was going to be a surprise or unusual. What I think was a surprise was Kendall finally found somebody who had the capacity and power to match her power. She ran up against a World Tour Pro woman, who could do exactly what Kendall wanted to do just in this instance better. So
1: yeah, I think maybe she was even a bit surprised at how early Corinne went because they were still maybe past halfway on the straight, but like Corinne went super early uh, and yeah, just had the power to hold it all the way to the finish, which I think it just caught Kendall off guard a little bit. Like she was expecting to wait another 10 seconds or so before starting the sprint.
0: So one of the, we asked on Instagram today, you know, for comment uh, from the fans of the show. Like, what do you guys want to hear about? One commenter wanted to talk about the Michaela Maroney moment that comes later with Kendall Ryan in the <laughs> a- and the podium presentation. If you haven't seen the podium picture, you know, Corinne smile, hands up. Chloe, Patrick, smile, hands up. Kendall, sunglasses, no smile a very sour or dour face, uh, you know, so let's talk about that for a second. I have reached out to a variety of, um, professional athletes or college athletes or directors within college programs to ask them, how do you deal with disappointment, How do your athletes or how should your athletes who hold themselves out to be professionals or on the way up to professionals deal with disappointment? Because it's one, heat of the moment, and two, you're being videoed. So like whatever you do, it's going to be a reaction and people are going to see it. And with sport more than anything else in this world, you know, you're you're heart rate's already high. Your emotions are already peaked. Your initial reaction is going to be very raw. And and so the response that I got from a lot of people was, you do have to give a certain degree of a pass to an athlete in that moment, you know, in that instantaneous response. Obviously, there are certain things that you cannot give them a pass on violence, for example, curb stomping wheels, spitting or pushing athletes, you know, those sort of things. You like you can't be what's that guy's name in the NFL in Sue, the dirtiest player in the NFL. You can't do those sort of things. But an instantaneous reaction like Kendall did where she threw her hands up and things like that. Give her a pass on.
1: Yeah, totally harmless.
0: What happens next, you know, when you come down to the podium ceremony, when you come down to talking to the press, for example, or when you come down from, you know, the post locker room shower, you know, meetings and conversations, what's the deal there? You know, and basically the way that it's been relayed to me from people who do this professionally and as a living is you get a drink a water bottle, you know, whatever it happens to be, you get a shower, you get a period of time in which you can decompress. And after that, you're expected to act like a professional. You're expected to just say, okay, I'm dealing with the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it does come down to professionalism. Like, obviously, you are more than entitled to, like, feel the way feel your feelings, especially when you're like putting so much time and effort and emotion into a single day's race. But I mean, when it comes to the, the podium, like the women's podium is after the men's race. So you've had well over an hour to start to like digest these things. And like that I mean, Corinne's won a lot of national championships. So she has a lot of national championship podium pictures, but like it's just disrespectful to the person who did win because now, forever in that photo, instead of it being like, you know, professional, here's your three people, it's like two people doing the professional thing. And then one person who is just, I don't know, it just kind of ruins that moment. And I think, you know, Kendall's also had. her fair share of wins and podium pictures where you know second and third are obviously going to be extremely disappointed that they lost but they're still doing their part doing their job and making it look presentable but whether she was slighted or not in this finishing sprint it's just like you're just kind of ruining it for everybody else when nobody else has done that to you so i guess that is just kind of The way i look at it
0: yeah and i and in no way shape or form or am i suggesting that she has to basic like i hate that the concept that like we're telling uh you know somebody to smile because that's just mansplaining 101 you know jerk nature but like it's it's the you need to react professionally And when you put the sunglasses on and you've got the dour face and the champagne video that they showed was epic because you could see her pop the champagne. It exploded kind of like trickled out. And then she's just like, throws her hands down and walks away sort of thing. It's like just exist in the moment. And, put the show on for everybody else so that Chloe Patrick or Corinne Lebecki, the sponsors for these teams can get their shot because now what are we going to do with this photo? You know, do we have to crop Kendall out? Cause it's not really a marketable photo for, for Yumbo Visma or for Sirius cycling or for any other sponsors.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest with like the, how much of a social media team that Legion has around it. I'm surprised that nobody said anything as she's walking up to the podium with the sunglasses on being like, I know you're upset. I know you're bummed, but like you, you can't do that. But yeah, she, they let her go up there. She wore the sunglasses and now that's the photo that we got.
0: <laughs> so the race was 70 minutes. That's what it was slated for. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly how long the race went, but like, For a national criterium, do you think 70 minutes, for the national championship, do you think 70 minutes is is legitimate?
1: I mean, in the sense that that's pretty much how long crits are these days. Like, in the ACC, in the NCL, I mean, the NCL races have been even shorter. Just, like, because all of the existing crit races we have seem to be trending towards the, like, 70 to 75-minute range, I suppose it's valid, but... I think if you asked most of the quote unquote pro teams in the US like we would all enjoy it being 90 minutes or honestly even a 2 hour race. Um I think you know especially considering it's just sort of like if you're a DE team you get to be in the race like everybody can hang especially on that course for 60 minutes. Um so I think we're kind of limiting the entertainment that the race has to offer by making it only 70 minutes long.
0: Uh, definitely again, you know, Brad Soner and Lauren Tucker Hall doing a great job on the call, keeping it interesting and engaging. Cause I was watching it on, on uh, the good old fashioned flow, uh, which could be a separate conversation about USA cycling and a $150 subscription to flow that I was required to get. But you know, it, it it It's entertainment value, you know, for us to go longer than 70 minutes, to see the dynamicism. I have this vague memory in the back of my head that my uh, master's national championship criterion was already 75 minutes, you know, the last time that I did it. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, the pro crit would be shorter than a master's crit from like less than 10 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that is pretty silly huh uh yeah again i guess it just goes back to it's time to sort of switch up the course like as kind of uninteresting as it is for us to continue to race on it you know how are people supposed to get excited over sitting down to watch when they pretty much already know exactly how everything's going to play out
0: so fourth of july fireworks um for everybody so exciting wonderful but the big thing from the fourth of July weekend. Fourth of July was a Wednesday, I think, or a Tuesday, middle of the week. But the weekend that followed with the fireworks in Boise, in your hometown, with the Boise Twilight Criterium. Uh Alan, did you get carried to the line, Rudy Rudiger style?
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, not. Uh, I actually really tried hard to convince people that that's what we should do, uh, but no one, no one took the bait. <laughs> I tried to, yeah, talk to uh, Kurt Holzer, who was doing the calls for twilight and see if he could like wrangle some people but yeah no one was interested
0: regrettably boise was not live streamed uh snowy mountain was there for us taking pictures of it and giving us detailed blow by blow about how things were ran and we did get to see the acc post race recap video so we have at least some knowledge of what was going on, and most importantly, we got the first glimpse of the new Skylar Schneider Pan-American Championship jersey. That was full-time first displayed there. Skyler wins. Uh, Paulo Munoz from Miami Knights finishes in second. Marlies Mejas Garcia from 2024 uh, comes in third on the women's side. On the men's side, Ty Magner And Corey Williams of Legion for second. Danny Summerhill from American Cycling Group comes in third. Um, Skyler did it from a solo late race move. That's my understanding.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. She... Did the the jersey well and did something that a lot of people consider to be like pretty impossible at Boise. Uh, I guess this is where I become a bit of a hypocrite in that Boise also pretty much always plays out the same way because it's flat four corners super fast. But yeah, Skyler snuck away with like, I want to say it was 10 laps to go, 8 or 10 laps to go. Got a gap and just stuck the thing. It was <laughs> extremely, extremely impressive. Really just showed how strong she was.
0: We have seen in the past how exceptionally powerful these fields can be and how even the most shall we say, uh, hard-headed breakaway attempts get drawn back in this race. Yeah, I can You remember the the Cade Bickmore and Scott McGill breakaway from two years ago with AE Volo, where those guys were off the front for, for like, forever for the gun from the men's race, but still, those guys got brought back. Scott, obviously, now races for Human-Powered Health, a, a pro road team, and Cade races for a UCI Conti team in Project Echelon legit riders with real serious power. You know, the fact that Skylar did what she did is a testament to her being selected last year for the world championships on the road side and potentially going to Europe next year and and racing there. Uh, You know, super kudos uh, to her. I guess I'll have to go on Strava and make sure to go back and give her kudos. Do you think, do you think that she named that ride Evening Ride?
1: <laughs> just the biggest flex of them all? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Probably. I don't know if that would land us hard since it was just Boise Twilight as doing like a 100 mile ride with a bunch of KOMs. Uh, but I think she was also selected or has been selected for the World Championships this year. The Super Worlds. For Glasgow? Yeah.
0: Oh, excellent. Um,
1: yeah, it's really, again, like It is a bunch of American women who are in the world tour and then Skylar Schneider, (laughs) just like, yeah, proving, proving her class, honestly.
0: Do you think that we as Criterium fans in the United States realize the rare air we are breathing when we get to watch women like Skylar or Marlies or Paula or Kendall women who legitimately could be or should be racing in Europe at some level but they're here racing crits with us uh yeah
1: i think the the like specialness of what we're watching does sort of like fall to the wayside or slip past us perhaps honestly again just to the format more than anything like criterion racing is extremely exciting but I mean, these women are capable of going longer than a 60-minute, 70-minute crit. If you put them on a course that has a big climb in it, you, we would see them just like ride away from the field even more than than they currently do. But yeah, hopefully we're appreciating it uh, while we got it because they may not be here for that much longer.
0: The I mean, the arch nemesis last year, at least, of Skylar Schneider was Maggie Coles-Lister. And now she's on Israeli Premier Tech you know, racing the biggest races that they've got the Giro Donna. She just did that. So like pause for a second, reflect and go, damn, that's great. How did the men's race play out?
1: Oh, I I guess similar to the, uh, the national race. Basically again, it was 75 minute race, pretty short. Um, lots of attacks. I personally, it being my home race, And everybody finally coming to me my whole goal was just to attack as much as possible try and get off the front just make it interesting for everybody there since like my parents were here family there but that was a story for everybody a lot of attempts to get something going not that we never had like a good sized group that started to roll away just kind of a lot of ones and twos and threes so once we hit about the 50 minute mark you saw Legion just like grouped together up at the front and yeah do their lead out at one point the miami blazers did overtake the legion train which i thought was interesting because i think they did it with like 20 laps to go which is still 20 minutes left in the race uh and i so that was a bit confusing to me i wasn't mm. fully understanding why the blazers would take over so early when you know they just objectively don't have the same firepower they were basically doing legion's job for them yeah, so they lasted until maybe 12 to go, and then we saw Legion take over. Do you know they had their A squad? They had all the all the strong guys, so they rode really hard. But actually, on the last lap, Ty, uh, Ty Magner and Alec Cohen and Corey attacked their own lead out. So they attacked on the backstretch on the last lap, came around Tyler Williams, and effectively gapped everybody else behind them, and started riding away. Uh, And you can talk to Danny Summerhill, it just like complete or caught him completely off guard. So he, you know, tried to bridge late and pretty much got to them right as they started their sprint and, yeah, managed to hang on for third. But it was something new out of him in the sense that we've never seen them attack their own lead out before.
0: (laughs) Interesting that you bring that up about Miami and their strategy, because that sounds similar to the strategy that they tried to employ, or they did actually employ, excuse me, at the first night of Tulsa, where they came to the front and they attempted to, I don't even know if the right, if jump the train would be the right thing. And it didn't really work for them there as far as a result is concerned, but it's something that we've started to see in races, because we'll talk in Salt Lake, in a few minutes about, you know, Automatic doing something similar and even your own team, C.S. Velo, trying to establish a long-term presence at the front or even a mid-race presence at the front in a uniform group. And I, I don't know what the what the thought process is there where you're just like, this is a wide open course at Boise. Uh, can six guys effectively control this for that period of time at the end of the race as opposed to in the beginning of the race what do you what do you think
1: theoretically yeah they can but when it is a course like that and legion is as strong as they are it honestly feels like not a death wish necessarily but almost a fool's errand to even try but at the same time if we're not trying to, you know, throw a wrench in the train that is Legion, then what are we all really doing out there? (laughs) So I definitely respect the effort.
0: So one thing that I put into the show notes outline here is to talk about the attendance at Boise and to talk about the numbers this year versus years in the past and to see if that's a victim of, if it's becoming a victim of costs associated with travel or with not being live streamed, or if just this race is is not getting the, the the attendance that it should be due given its location and its history. So you know, this year according to road results, there were 38 women who attended the Pro One Two race for the women. In 2022, there were 42 women who attended, so uh, a little bit of a reduction. In uh, 2021, the number was well into the 60s or 70s. So you can see, like, there has been a decrease in the last three years. Um, You know, on the men's side, you'll see, you know, a similar reduction from its peak in 2021 when it was part of USA Crits, where they had, you know, darn near 100 guys doing that race versus... This year, where it was closer to 50, was that noticeable on the start line, that less number of humans?
1: Noticeable when you looked back and it was only, you know, four or five rows of guys. I think, you know, the quality of the 50 guys that we had in the race was still extremely high. So even though we effectively had half the field size that we had in 2021, our average speed was the same. So it's yeah, much smaller group, still extremely fast racing. As to why, pretty much everybody I talked to, it was either like convenience or money based concerns. You know, Boise for as great of a place it is, and us having a like international, potentially international airport, it's still an expensive place to fly to. And then if you are flying in, you have to go through the whole like rigmarole of, or I guess expense. <laughs> of renting a vehicle to then drive to salt lake the next weekend and you know most teams are based sort of east of the mississippi so driving out here is also just like so much time and effort and money that it really just makes more sense to choose either boise or salt lake and salt lake ends up being being the choice which honestly is too bad because it's such a great race but
0: and none of these guys got to none of them got to go to necker
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is like the highlight of the the entire weekend.
0: (laughs) You know, I wonder if having a second race, like back when you had the Chrono Kristen Armstrong, that was a part of the Boise weekend or some sort of a Fondo or charity event might beef up the attendance because, you know, just one race is a hard pill to swallow when you're the team budgeting it as opposed to the two races for salt lake city or 10 races for intelligentsia you know
1: well it's funny you bring that up i mean we're never going to get to 10 races but we actually do have a uh race on sunday now it is however a hill climb (laughs) which usually crit racer hill climber not the same person but so everybody is aware the bogus basin hill climb we moved it to the sunday after boise twilight and yeah i mean it's it's awesome we're hoping to get full road closure for next year so you will have all 17 miles of of bogus basin road to yourself uh and yeah honestly it's it's a super fun time coffee up top food up top definitely it should you know sort of build the value for making the trip out here
0: so chronologically proceeding before we get to last weekend's races in salt lake city we get to talk about the ncl the national cycling league because they had a certain number of announcements that came out in between boise and salt lake city so remember two things can be true at the same time We can be critical of the NCL organization and the league while still being supportive of the teams. As we said in the past and probably a billion times, the two NCL teams are legit. Like the guys and women on the Miami Knights and the Denver Disruptors have had incredible seasons. And if the story was just about, let's build two great teams and send them out, you could say mission accomplished, great, we did it. The the issue, however, is, is that the league does not seem to be as healthy or as stable as their social media wants us to believe, or at least the way that their social media was presented. So here, here are some facts that have come out in the last couple of weeks. The fourth stop of the NCL four-race series, the Washington, D.C. one, is not going to happen, Uh, no legitimate or real explanation was provided as to why. It was just, we want to focus on 2024. I've read enough PR statements to know that that's a non-answer answer. So, you know... I don't understand why aim so high if you're going to have trouble or why say that you're going to have races without actually having the races already lined up. It seems like it was a lot of promise, but not a lot of delivery on the Washington DC end. Um, Alan, do you got any comments there about that?
1: Uh, I guess my only thought is just that this whole season of theirs has felt a bit rushed. I mean, when did they like officially announce that they were going to be a league? It was in 2023, so if I am remembering correctly, yeah. It just seems like you know they wanted to rush to get a product out, and now they're sort of having to deal with a bit of the blowback of not being necessarily completely prepared for the season.
0: It also comes up with the fact that they didn't. They tried to create everything whole cloth. There was no partnering with existing events no partnering with existing teams. This was just a, we wanna do this our way or the highway. And I think this is a point that I wanna make before we get to some more of the facts about what has happened is why I believe that the NCL has received such a harsh, critical look from so many people in the Criterium community. It's because they entered into this space and said, we are going to, I don't like the tech word disrupt, but it is a word that gets used in the space where they were going to disrupt. They were going to be the organization that reinvigorated, reinvented, redesigned, rethought, redid the entire concept of criterium racing that existed in the United States. And that's existed since, I don't know, how long has Somerville been going on? 78, 79 years? Like there was an existing community, there were existing events, there were existing teams who had bought into this. And so by saying that we are doing it better than you, that we are the future, you inherently create enemies or you create people who want to see critical review of what you're doing. And when you don't do everything up to snuff, people are going to point that out to you. And so by doing what they did and doing it the way that they did, I fear that they invited their own criticism.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole show going, you know, line by line, sort of the mistakes they made. But the the cardinal sin really was coming into a world that admittedly has a lot of flaws. I mean, we've done multiple shows on ways that we could improve bike racing in the U S but to come in and say, we're going to completely revolutionize this, but we're not going to like partner or, you know, join up with any of the existing members. is just kind of like at that point, it's just rude (laughs) in the sense that like, like, like they don't, actually care about the cycling community in that is us criterium racing or us bike racing as a whole like that's where it starts to feel a bit disingenuous i guess
0: and then for them to come in and create these two teams to a certain extent not by bringing in people from elsewhere which they definitely did with like
1: Mm -hmm. which is a huge positive Like, all of the talent that they've brought into the U.S. from outside of the U.S. has been excellent.
0: But in the same breath, they basically started shopping from teams that already existed. They had greater resources. They could offer these riders more money. If I was a rider and I was, you know, this was the way that I was going to make a living, being presented with a $50,000 salary from being a part of the NCL versus no salary from the vast majority of the domestic elite teams. Oh yeah, I would choose that. So I'm not going to fault the rider for making the switch, but it's like you come in and I don't know where recruiting begins and poaching ends or vice versa, but it does really smell like they poached, especially from teams like LLG or, uh, the old CWA now Goldman Sachs, uh, best buddies what is now american cycling group those teams rosters were completely decimated by the ncl going in and grabbing the stars from those teams and so like which
1: honestly like i don't even necessarily have a problem with like if there is a team that is going to pay these people who deserve to be paid a bunch of money like yes like go get yours go get that bag Where. It starts to like bug me is if the ncl only ends up existing for a season then they stole all these people promised them a bunch of stuff and then that's just all gone and like now there's you know whatever it is 40 people that don't have teams to ride for and when are when will they find out about that like how confident are the riders that this is coming back next year is my question um because i don't want to see a world where my friends who have been like promised a bunch of stuff are now just completely out of luck and stuck without a team next year. Because it's it, it is a lot of riders and you know, the teams, even the elite ones in the US, their budgets are still small and it's hard to bring on, you know, four new riders and figure out how to afford to get them to races.
0: Yeah, because I mean I've been parts of the discussion with people who have been trying to find riders' homes. Like In October or in November, like with Gateway, when that team folded, you know, all of a sudden you've got all these great young riders who deserve a shot, who had, you know, hoped to to continue going with that, and then they're gone. Or like last year with Wildlife Generation, you know, when Wildlife Generation ceased to exist, you had, you know, Johnny Clark and Noah Granigan and, you know, Scott McGill, you had incredible riders who needed homes, but they didn't have an opportunity anymore because two-year contracts and bike racing is like crazy, especially in Criterium Racing. But let's go back to some more of the facts. So remember the promise was is that these races were going to take place in major cities and in downtowns because they wanted to not only uh, attract the people who are endemic fans, the you and I and folks who are listening, but they also wanted to attract the people who are walking down the street or the people who are just like, I'm in downtown Atlanta near Centennial Olympic Park Plaza. What is this insanity going on? I wanna be a part of this. I mean, that's one of the things that we sell crit racing as is like street festival, let's do this, let's go with it. This is an incredible opportunity and experience. Bring your live music in, You know, bring your, your bands, bring your kids, we'll have carnival rides and face painting, I mean, Hummelstown, uh, the race in Pennsylvania, you know, all of these Pennsylvania races for some odd reason. They used to have the rock tour of uh, Main Line. They all have like these carnivals or festivals that would go with them. Reading did the same thing. It was just like, cool, bands, Pennsylvania, bike racing, gears and guitars in Winston-Salem, all of it. So that's the promise that was made to us in the bike racing community that we were doing it in downtowns. And
1: that they... Pulled off in Miami.
0: Yes, which they absolutely did in Miami Beach. Super cool, but apparently not going to happen anymore for the Denver stop and for the Atlanta stop. So the permit that we found initially for the NCL for Atlanta was for Centennial Olympic Park Plaza. I named it for a specific reason because they were going to run the race there. Cool. It's not happening there anymore. It's happening at the Porsche test track or facility near Hertzfield Jackson International Airport. And when I say near, it's under the it's adjacent to the threshold of the runway. Like it's it's right there. So, you know, if they're landing east to west, you will be right there experiencing the 747s and the a, the, the airbuses. The event is no longer open to the public, but you can only get in if you buy a 200, I think, dollar VIP ticket. So now your huge throngs and fans are completely gone. The event in Denver is not in Denver, it's actually in Commerce, Colorado, and it's at a, which is like 20 minutes outside of the city, it's at a soccer complex, the uh, Dick's Sporting Good Field, which is where the local uh, major league soccer team in Denver plays. Haven't seen the actual course for the Commerce, Colorado race, but, oh, my God, it it's a massive parking lot. That's what that facility is. Are we going to have a coned-off race with a massive parking lot? Is this the, NC, the way that the NCL goes out is with that? I don't know. Um, the GCN contract is gone. It will not be aired on GCN. Uh, I believe it still will be aired, but don't know any details about that, some way, shape, or form. The CEO is out. Medalist that ran the Miami race is out. The other top leaders are out from it. They did announce a new CEO, and there are tons of instances in business where the CEO that initiates and launches is quickly out and replaced by a CEO whose job it is to, you know, grow and manage. So don't read too much into that specific thing, but you start to add all these things together, It doesn't look healthy.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely does not. And that all kind of started when they had to move the uh, Atlanta race in the first place. And part of what comes with, I guess, yeah, the maybe negative outlook is that they aren't super forthcoming on their social media sort of explaining or any sort of like press release explaining why these decisions and these moves have been made they just have sort of put it out there that the race needs to be moved back we're going to put it at a new location um i mean one of my big sort of points of skepticism in the first place with the ncl was based around the fact that it was the startup and they had like yeah, 30 different like leadership positions. So it was great that you had all of this funding, the $7 million investment, but when you start splitting that, obviously between the riders who need to get paid and then all of these different leadership people, like you're gonna burn through that budget super, super quickly. So, you know, the way all of this sort of reads to me is that they tried a thing, Miami was by all intents and purposes like a success but as they got deeper and deeper into it it started to look more and more bleak and then eventually people have been looking for a way out and just sort of started abandoning ship is like my <laughs> sort of like outlook on it
0: one thing that's also telling or interesting is that the teams are not attending as many races as one would expect outside of the NCL so Miami Knights and Denver Disruptors, did not attend all of Tour of America's Dairyland. They only attended the Grafton ACC race and the day after. When it comes to Intelligentsia, they're not attending the full scope of Intelligentsia. They're only attending the Lake Bluff and Fulton race, Lake Bluff being the ACC race and Fulton or Goose Island being the last day, the Sunday afterwards. So, you know, it's July, which means team budgets inherently become thinner than they were in March because you've mm-hmm. spent that money. But this I mean, is, ours
1: is fully blown. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> of course, and that's why you know that's why it's July. So it's not unusual for teams to run low on money at this time of year, or for infusions of cash not to come in from sponsors, uh, even though sponsors may have promised it. But it, it all goes back to gee, this just doesn't sound healthy. This doesn't sound like the promises are going to be met.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we look at this through sort of the lens of what was promised at the beginning of the year, have they revolutionized, using their words, revolutionized cycling in America? Have they accomplished that? I think it was going to be a bold claim with only four races in the series, but now that they're down to three and like we mentioned, you know, they're no longer in city centers. Like all of these things that they said were going to be what revolutionized American cycling have sort of fallen away. It just it just hasn't like it is, I would say, a failure of a race series, as harsh as that may be. The teams themselves have had great success all year long, and it's been amazing to, to watch. But the league as a whole at this point, and we'll see, you know. Maybe it'll surprise everybody and the two races that they still have to, to run will be great success. But at this point in time, it's hard to objectively really call it anything but sort of, yeah, a failed experiment.
0: It's a, For me, I was going to say an Icarus flying too close to the sun. And by that, I mean they created their own sun to fly too close to with their social media and their claims. I'm just wondering, are there lessons for us to learn? from what's happened to the NCL? You know, are there lessons for for the ACC or for, you know, any of the various CRIT-type organizations? And I use CRIT as in the, the Justin Williams-launched Endeavor, you know, or the Nocturne League, or anybody else who's trying to come into this space. Do we have a lesson that we could learn from what has happened to the NCL?
1: I mean, absolutely. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned, but You know what all of the other leagues have going for them especially justin with crit is that they come from within the cycling world they're not you know trying to break into a completely new market with no experience in it whatsoever making these big bold promises so you know what all of the lessons are exactly is hard to say but i have a lot of confidence in, I mean, I think the ACC could do more, but in the ACC and especially Justin with his crit series that they will be successful. Are they going to revolutionize cycling in America? Probably not. But I think we, they will find success with those series.
0: And I, uh, parroting a little bit off of what you said there, I think the goal or the last, the ultimate lesson to be learned is do not reinvent the wheel work within the community that exists, partner with the races and organizers and teams and and structures that exist already. You do not need to throw everything away and start all over because we've been doing this for a long time and all of us who've been involved in the, the promotion, to the media, to the team management, we've all seen our fair share of failures which means that we know how to correct those failures and to spot them beforehand so that you can make new mistakes, <laughs> yeah. not the mistakes that we previously made. Real quick, because it's an issue that needs to be addressed, because it's an issue that, you know, could potentially impact criterion raising, the UCI did announce a transgender ban uh, applied to transgender women who are racing in women's races. So these are women who were born as men, who transitioned at some point in time during their life to become a woman. The UCI no longer will allow them to race in women's races, so as the gender that they identify in now. Um, That announcement was made middle of the year with immediate effect. Without a lot of, I don't know, forethought in my mind, the question is what does USA Cycling do with that and does it really impact or matter for Criterium Racing? USA Cycling did say that it would follow the UCI, because it it basically kind of has to as part of it. The UCI's position is out of step with the International Olympic Committee. Uh, and it did follow the Belgian waffle ride announcement, which got a lot of flack. Uh, so there's a lot going on in the transgender space within bike racing, but the practical effect, at least speaking with transgender athletes who know a lot more about this than, than I personally do because they live it is that there is no UC, USAC policy as it exists right now that has been changed. So what existed in April of 2023 continues to exist. In Criterium Racing, we only have two races in the United States that are UCI-sanctioned races that also have women's fields, and that's Gila-Joe Martin. Both have already been run this year. The jury is still out on whether this rule would apply to nationals, but nationals has also already been run this year. So... Sit, wait, see what the what USA Cycling says, how their policy evolves, what happens next. I, I don't know, Alan, what else do you think that we need to say about that?
1: I guess just I personally just want to mention the fact that like the UCI making this this decision was first completely out of the blue and not in line with like statements that they had been making back in May, as well as not based in any sort of scientific fact as um shown by their like lead doctor they're just as a fact is not enough scientific data out there to definitively say one way or another that transgender women have any sort of an athletic advantage so i think it was a bad and wrong decision by the uci and i hope that the u that USAC sort of takes that into account and really listens to the USA Cycling Group at large and makes the right decision here.
0: Let us segue away from that and get back into talking about races that specifically happen. So we have Salt Lake last week or a week and a half ago when this show airs. You know, Salt Lake City, part of two days of racing. One day is the ACC. That race in the industry crit was won by Paula Munoz with Heidi Praderis, both from Miami Knights in second. Nicola McDonald from the Cervello Zip Track team. Had to look that one up. Had not seen Nicola's name in results nationally before. On the men's side, Danny Summerhill gets his long awaited ACC win of the year. Alfredo Rodriguez from Miami Knights in second. And then Reinhard Jans von. Rendsburg, the South African national champion from the Denver Disruptors, who has hurt my fingers from having to type his name on Instagram so many times because he's had so many incredible results this year, finishes in third. Alan, you were there.
1: It's a lot of letters. Yep, sure was. Hmm, full squad this time. CS had a full squad, which was nice.
0: Two things can be true. The race was run well.
1: yes. Yeah, yeah, it was.
0: So that's great. It was live streamed, which was incredible because we got to see it. We could analyze it, discuss it, look at it, do everything that we need to do in order to tell you who won, how they won and why they won. Um, The question, however, is, is this Criterium course, the first night in the industry, good enough to be an elite Criterium course in the United States?
1: I'm sure everybody has a different opinion. Having done all four editions of the Salt Lake crit, the first day has always just been marred by crashes. Granted, when we were racing through the gateway, that was objectively worse than the industry crit. But yeah, I mean, it was just a crash fest again. More crashes than any other race we've had all year and crashes that happen when the racing is at its most intense, which is always frustrating. So we've had last lap crashes, or last year we'll just call it incidences, that affect the outcome of the race. And I would just sort of say, like leave sort of a sour taste in people's mouths. Long story short, I would be a proponent of them moving day one, the ACC race to a different location.
0: I just think that this is not the race that, salt lake city wants representing itself on live stream for those who have never been to salt lake city i have never been to salt lake city and so now i've been presented with this is what salt lake city looks like the industry crit is salt lake city and you've got a into oncoming traffic basically left-hand turn for the first Corner, you've got what appears to be an active construction zone in the race. So you've got cones coning off the entire area. And you've got corner number two or three, I think it is, which seems to be the corner where everybody likes to crash on the last lap. Two years in a row, there's been some kind of a racing incident in that corner. And I bet you that this year's racing incident, where Corey Williams from Legion crashed, is probably somewhat due to the fact of his experience last year where his tire got stuck in a in a rut on the outside this time he went inside and it looks like didn't weight his bike appropriately and slipped right out physics is physics is unapologetic and unwavering so you know i just for as well of an organization as the salt lake city criterium has been and for, as far as creating an event and putting it on and getting it to a level where it can be put out there as one of the best criteriums on our calendar, this course is not doing it for me.
1: Yeah. And honestly, that I guess my two ideas based off of that are like a the environment around that race and like the uh, the vibes coming from all of the the spectators they're watching are excellent. It's such a good race in that front. Uh, but yeah, the, the point you made about watching the live stream and we're just like literally racing around some like industrial complex, everything's gray. You can see from the live stream that the pavement is shitty. Like Salt Lake city has so much more to offer than that. Yeah. So from just like a visual standpoint and aesthetic standpoint, Day two in 2021 happened in Holiday, which is just like a suburb of Salt Lake. The backdrop was the mountains to what the northwest of the city. And it was incredible. Um, So, yeah, in terms of really like presenting their best face, I would love to see them move day one to that holiday course. And I think it would just be so much better of an experience for everybody involved.
0: Corner number one, uh, John Borstelman your teammate, he ran his hand into either the concrete wall.
1: He punched a concrete okay. wall. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, was that a mattress that had been like duct taped to the bull nose of that concrete?
1: Uh, No. Def- I don't think there was anything there. They put out some like uh, plastic barriers, which they didn't have last year, but they're like plastic traffic barriers, but they're so wide that it actually took up some like good rideable space on the road so taking what was already an extremely narrow like single line turn and making it even more narrow
0: and i don't have a problem with the narrow turn i mean courses have to have features that make them challenging or difficult otherwise boise is no different than salt lake city that narrow turn and and having technical aspects of it is is great and i think that people can navigate that even at speed because that's not where the crash happened that, you know, felled everybody on the last lap. But please just let's let's do better. Let's all agree to, to do better, because um, I don't think in 2024 I will be able to convince my wife to watch that crit again. <laughs> and I don't know how many people who race that crit are eager to go back and do it again.
1: Yeah. I mean, we all understand the risks we're taking and at the end of the day, like the fault pretty much is on us, the racers, because we want to win the race. Like if you're battling with someone for the corner, you're playing chicken with someone, you're not going to touch your brakes. Uh, So when we're going into these corners too fast, too close to each other, crashes are what happens. But yeah, I think again, you can, you can have a technical course without the results being multiple pileups.
0: Do you know who Gassy Jack is?
1: Absolutely I don't.
0: <laughs> oh, this is great. This is great. I um I had numerous photographs and pictures uh with Gassy Jack and what I'm talking about is the Gassy Jack statue that exists in British Columbia in Vancouver in the Gastown neighborhood. So uh, Gassy Jack, John Deaton, born November of 1830, died uh, May of 1875, was a bar owner in Vancouver, British Columbia. He owned the bar that now has his statue, the Gassy Jack statue. And the reason I bring it up is because Gastown, one of my favorite criteriums, was back this year. British Columbia used to have a full BC super week that would happen all over the the place. And like, if I had known about its existence before the pandemic, I would have definitely gone up there and done the races, but I learned about it after the pandemic set in and it hasn't come back, but Gastown was back. Legion sent most of its people there, uh, which is why their presence at Salt Lake was a little bit reduced I just wanted to mention the fact that Gas Town was back. Nothing more. I I don't know, you know, anything about the way that the race was run or anything like that. I can tell you that you can get a pretty good beer at the the bar that's right there at the corner where the uh, the Gassy Jack statue is. I gotta somewhere in the back of my mind, I think that that crit at Gastown has been featured on, like, 1990s YouTube videos of bike racing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it looked like a great course, honestly.
0: It's technical. It's challenging. It happens right there in, like, the the port area of Vancouver where all the tourists come off the cruise ships. So if you can get 3,000 random cruise ship tourists walking through your bike race, <laughs> I think that's, that's some really great spectators right there.
1: Yeah. I think the funniest part about Gastown was, like, even though BC Super Week like doesn't exist anymore, or at least this year, they still just kept the race day on a Wednesday. <laughs> like instead of moving it to the weekend, they're like, nah, we'll keep doing it on a Wednesday. No worries. And there were tons of people there.
0: That is the quintessential uh, Vancouver approach to thing. We'll just do it. No worries. <laughs> yeah. It'll work out.
1: Yeah, it seems to work for him. And we got to see like what true world tour talent looks like at that race.
0: So you you obviously know more than I do. What 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 were your thoughts on, on the Gas Town race?
1: Looked super fun. Uh definitely would like to go next year. Um looked hard. Again, lots of attacks. Kayla Marshall was out there attacking every like ten minutes. Um Thomas Schellenberg, who is from Canada, was also attacking. He won like, I don't know, maybe a thousand bucks in Premes, which was super cool to see. Uh and then Pickerel, sorry, I'm blanking on his first name, but Yeah, a kid who is or will be riding for Riley Pickerel. Yeah, so he'll be riding for Israel Premier Tech World Tour team next year. Uh, Sat in all race and then just absolutely toasted everybody in the sprint.
0: (laughs) So according to their website, they have been doing this for 50 years. That's some longevity there for Gastown. Uh, It's a lot of crits. There's brick uh, pavers, just strewn among the streets, uh, 30,000 spectators were described as being a part of it. So let's all just go up there. Do I have to get a UCI license to do that race? Or can I just get a Canadian license or what?
1: I think you just need a passport.
0: Huh? Huh? Interesting. Kendall Ryan wins and, and Riley, uh, you know, on the women's side and, and, uh, Riley, God, now I'm blanking on his name. Pickerel wins on the men's side. Super cool.
1: Yeah, that was Kendall's fourth win in a row, like dating back to pre-COVID times, basically. She won three in a row and then kept the streak going this year. So that's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's talk here to conclude about the ACC. We're halfway or so through the ACC, You know, is it doing its job? Is it living up to what we want it to be as far as a Criterium Series, or is it better off being the Criterium Calendar of calendars for the major United States bike races? Uh, This year, you know, the live streaming's been a problem. You know, in our comment about Salt Lake City, the ACC uh, posted something in response saying that they are trying to build their audience but that the promoters of the races didn't see the dollar value right now for 3,500 viewers. And that was their number, 3,500. Not mine, not Brad Soner's, not anybody else's. You know, I did ask for the data from last year as as far as the number of viewers were concerned, and I was told that we would not be able to get that data because it was owned by Outside and Outside wasn't gonna release it. So we're left to guess.
1: So, classic outside, yeah,
0: classic outside. Do you have a a feeling about these races having done several of the races that are a part of the series?
1: I mean, all the races are great. yeah, I, they all I should be a part of the series yeah.
0: do you feel so two things can be true at the same time, do you feel that the series is doing a, a service for the races or vice versa that the races are helping the series? because I am intensely interested in who wins and who gets on the podium in all of these races. Can I name for you right now, without going to Google, who's in first, second, or third in any of the competitions? No, I can't. And I feel bad about that, but like in the same breath, like I'm just not engaged. It's just not sucked me in the way that the races themselves have
1: yeah i mean i guess two true things at once like it seems like if you were interested in the races you would also have an idea or like be more engaged in uh also the leaders of the sprints and the the overall um yeah i don't know i guess maybe like i can understand them feeling like there isn't enough value in spending you know just ridiculous amounts of money on live streams but if they're not gonna do that i would like to see them doing a little bit more maybe just like in terms of youtube videos at this point it seems like all information that you're getting from the acc is via instagram and with just like how loaded up with content Instagram is these days like it's very very easy even if you do like very much care about the racing itself to sort of miss the recaps um or yeah like they're they're posting all of the the points for the jerseys there as well so yeah i think like some investment in doing like full full recaps on youtube doing interviews with everybody putting it on youtube could be sort of like bridge that gap between only Instagram or $150,000 a race to have a live stream.
0: Well, remember, we 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 got the number, like sixty dollars to $65,000 to live stream Boise last year. You know, that's consistent with what Sonny King paid for, you know, their live stream this year. Last year in 2022, all of the races were live streamed with the exception of Harlem. And when Harlem wasn't live streamed, Everybody raised a huge fuss about it and you could see the bump that Harlem had been given the two prior years is completely gone this year. The attendance at Harlem dropped through, you know, to the ground. Nobody went because it wasn't part of the series and it also (laughs) wasn't live streamed. Uh, So
1: based off of things I've heard about Harlem, I don't know if that was live stream and not being a part of the ace. I mean, I'm sure not being a part of the ACC, you're definitely going to see a drop in. In numbers, but I think that race has other stuff going on too.
0: I wasn't going to go back to that (laughs) race and get sewage splashed on me again. It just wasn't what I wanted to do when coming out of corner three, like it happened last year. So Mm -hmm. we'll just move past that that one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The, the problem, the problem I see with, with the series is that it appears that three teams are engaged in the, the competition. that's it right now. You've got Mm -hmm. Miami Knights because Alfredo Rodriguez, Paula Munoz, Andrea Sear are in competition for the overall. You've got DNA, which is running away with the sprint competition with Kim Lucci uh, on the women's side. And then you've got American Cycling Group, which has Danny Summerhill leading that competition on the men's side in the overall. But beyond that, you're looking at people like Legion, like Skylar and Sam who come to some of the races, but not to the others, uh, uh, you know, and that's just kind of been the way that people of people, meaning teams have approached this year where they're just like, we're going to be tactical with the money that we spend and go to the races that support our vision of bike racing or support our sponsors or match or mesh with our, with our brand. And I'm sorry, your race doesn't mesh with our brand or it costs too much money or we're going to focus on, you know, going to tour de as or, you know, Columbia or something else at, or or Green Mountain in the case of C.S. Velo, as opposed to the hill at Gateway Cup. You know, I just I'm just not seeing a, a, a huge level of broad engagement. What are you feeling from C.S. Velo or from the other men's teams that you're talking to?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, C.S. Velo, we are built as a stage race team. So and stage races are huge budget sucks for us in a good way. Uh, But yeah, I mean, so we are choosing to do Green Mountain stage race over going to Intelligentsia this this upcoming week. Yeah. I don't know that's tough I mean I think it is honestly just a budgetary thing which is going to fluctuate throughout the years whether people have enough budget to do the whole ACC calendar and like we talked about earlier by the time you get to July budgets are stretched thin and then yeah there's also a lot of really great races that just aren't a part of the ACC that people want to go do (laughs) so it is just kind of like a tough a tough situation all around there's Like in in some senses, it feels like we don't have a ton of racing, but then when you really sit down and plan out a calendar, it's almost like there's too much.
0: Yeah, I I mean, when it comes down to it, money is made to be spent. And so these teams have budgets and spending your team's budget on the races and the race saying is exactly what the point of the money is for. And so, you know, it's not like a complaint that in July and in August teams' budgets are thin. That's the design. Team budgets are meant to be thin by this point in time because you've been doing what you intended to do.
1: Yeah, it means you've probably had a pretty good year up to that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, and no team budgets with the anticipation of their budget being filled out by prize money. You know, It's not like CS is like, we want to go to Green Mountain, but the only way we're going to Green Mountain is if you guys win all these races beforehand. It's not like like that old, like Phil Gaiman theory of, I'm going to buy gas and get home from the bike race by virtue of the race winnings. Otherwise I'm screwed. I'm going to be stuck in Scranton or whatever. You know, it's just, that's just the the reality of, of modern bike racing teams, even domestic elite teams in the United States, their budgets set based on a external things, not prize money. The prize money is a bonus. So like, you know, I just, I really do think that the ACC has extreme merit in that it is the combination of a group of core events that are selling themselves as the calendar of events that you can or should do. We have a minimum level of expectations and professionalism within the sport. This is what you're going to be offered by coming to our event. Please do. And that's the incentive to the team. That's the incentive to the fan, That's the incentive to the rider. You will go to this race and you will get this experience. Um, you know, one of the comments that we got on Instagram today was about local racing and how local racing is is experiencing a big hit, especially where this commentator was in uh, Colorado. They haven't had very much racing in Colorado at all this year. I do know that there was a problem with BRAC. BRAC got bought out by somebody else. BRAC was the organization, Bicycle Racing Association of Colorado or something like that, that was running it. So there's some, you know, thing that's happening in Colorado uh, that's causing local or amateur racing to to be a little wonky. But in the same breath, the, the response that I wanted to give to that person is, The reason that races sometimes go away is because people have an expectation of what a race should be. And if your local race, if your ACC race, if your major national series race doesn't meet that expectation, bike racers are consumers and they'll go elsewhere. I wrestle with that myself where it's just like, do I want to spend my time, money and effort locally at a race or do I want to go elsewhere? And, you know, like the the dichotomy between racing Ride Sally Ride or Tulsa Tough, you know, Ride Sally Ride is a 45-minute car ride. I can race twice. It's a three-corner crit. Cool. I race with my friends. It's wonderful. Tulsa Tough is Tulsa Tough. (laughs) But it also requires airfare and hotel and a lot of it. So it's like. What experience is going to give me the most joy for my dollar? And for for you guys at the domestic elite level or the UCI Conti level, that calculus is there too. But it's also like what race experience will give me the best benefit for my brand, my sponsors, the people who are backing me, the people who are having expectations of me. And that's the beauty of the ACC. You've got this base floor of this is what a quality event shall be. I don't know about the points and the series and the prize money that 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 is a, a learning curve that I think that will come in the next three to five years.
1: Yeah, could be. I mean, I think, you know, the the points and everything are basically to provide a narrative, something to connect all of the all of the races and, and make it a series, which in itself is. I would I would say very valuable. Um, because the teams get to take that narrative and sort of weave it to, to their own fans. Yeah. So I think I think it it has value for sure.
0: So big things coming up between now and the next time we'll probably do one of these shows. You know, we've got intelligentsia, obviously, 10 days of racing in Chicago. Littleton race is coming up, Momentum Indy, Gateway Cup, those are big huge events that will draw a lot of riders what other things can you think of that are going to be a draw for people to focus on on the instagrams and the social medias and the threads and the tiktoks
1: uh yeah i mean gmsr green mountain that is september sometime august
0: sometime labor day weekend and then september labor, 1st yeah.
1: And then Bucks County Classic, great crit the weekend after that. So
0: I can't believe I almost forgot Bucks County Classic. I, How
1: could you forget Bucks County?
0: I know. I actually feel like I should attend Bucks County this year more than any other year. I will paunt John Stoveld into doing that race. He is a brand new cat too. So he can race in the 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 one-two race, and we can, you know, we can have so much fun in Bucks County while his better half, Kim Stolveld from Automatic Racing dominates like she has been in so many other races. It, it This is just, it's just, yes, it's the end-ish of the season and yeah, team budgets are nearing the end but like in the same breath, like this is this is, there's so much awesomeness still to come.
1: Still a lot of good stuff to do. Still a lot of good stuff to do for sure.
0: So we absolutely crushed the one hour mark now that we're like at 90 minutes so this is this is wonderful
1: yeah if you made it this far you were a real one there was some <laughs> rambling in there but but we're here we made it we're
0: here. well alan thank you so much as always for talking crit racing
1: yeah for sure this was fun see you next time
0: Thank you for joining us in another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with special thanks, of course, to the great Ellen Schroeder, our senior men's correspondent. We'll be back in two weeks' time. So join us then for more stories from our Criterium Nation.